0: This week on Punch Mountain. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of female exploitation. Turn on some music to dance to because we're watching Sucker Punch. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello, and welcome to
1: Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I'm joined, as always, by a man who would never sucker punch you. He'd always stab you right in the back. It's Mr. David Hata. David, do you feel like that's a um a- accurate uh, introduction?
0: I do. I'm such a coward. But I'd also <laughs> want to not leave any room for retaliation. So yeah, I'd absolutely stab people in the back more than sucker punches them. I mean, what, what am I supposed to stab someone politely? Who's writing the, uh, the gentleman's guide to stabbing? Mac, have you ever have you ever sucker punched somebody, or have you ever thought about sucker? What's the closest you've come to sucker punching somebody?
1: Mm, no, I I don't think I have. One time I got into a fight I didn't remember mm. because uh, I was playing a, a basketball practice for this like rec league that I was in in college. College high school I don't remember, and I I hit my head and I got a concussion, and the next thing I know, I well I didn't I didn't know at the time I got a concussion. I just remember hitting my head, and the next thing I you know, I was like, "Hey, I'm home! What the fuck?" And I <laughs> called my friend Raúl. Shout out Raúl! And I was like, "What happened?" And he's like, "Yeah, dude, you you almost got into a fight with some
0: dude." And I was like,
1: "What? Whoa!" Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm like uh, i like Moon Knight or or a Fight Club or whatever.
0: I was gonna say Doctor Detroit. I like both of your references more than mine. Well, David, the reason why we're talking about sucker
1: punching people is because. Zack Snyder punched us all in the face with the movie Sucker Punch that came out in 2011. And that is the movie we were talking about on this
0: episode of Punch Man. Now, David, why are we doing this movie? This is our first Zack Snyder movie. This is our first Zack Snyder movie. This is also the first winner of a Discord poll. I guess you and I were talking, we were trying to figure out if a Zack Snyder movie were to go on the mountain, which one would it be? Which one would we want to do? We couldn't really decide. So we figured, let's just throw it to the Discord audience. And we put a poll up. This was the winner. Uh, So congratulations, everybody. You wrote it. You watch it.
1: Yeah. It beat out like 300. And what was the other one, Man of Steel? Or was it Army
0: of the Dead? No, it was the Army of the Dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: I know for sure we didn't put uh, Watchmen or uh, his version of Justice League on there or Batman v. Superman. Because those movies are long, my man. Those are long-ass movies. Especially if we're going to do the Snyder cuts of them, which they all exist. This guy loves director's cuts. Which, to me, says this guy just cannot deliver a film studios like.
0: Here's the thing. As you list all of those, I'm not quite sure his action movies are even action movies. They all feel like dramas that just happen to have fights in them, if that makes sense. Like, think about his DC contributions, you know, Batman, Superman, and whatever else you said, Justice League. Like... Those don't feel like action movies to me. Those feel like those were really heavy stories that just happen to have set pieces in them.
1: I mean, Batman v Superman is centered around an action piece. But is the rest of that movie action packed? I mean, there's like some Batman stuff in it. And then, oh, I don't know. Oh, don't. Oh, you 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 almost got me. You (laughs) almost got me. This almost became (laughs) Snyder Mountain for a second. Let's get into this, David. Have you seen Sucker Punch before?
0: I have seen it one other time before. I saw it when it came out on Blu-ray. I rented it with a mutual friend of the show, Andrew Rosas. We decided to go back to his place with the sole intention of goofing on it. Because what could this movie possibly be? Like, you got to figure, coming off of 300 and Watchmen and Legend of the Guardians, Owls of (laughs) Gahul, But, like, I guess our original verdict on Zack Snyder was the movies are what they are. You know, Dawn of the Dead was a remake of a zombie movie. 300 was a bros action movie. The Watchmen was a comic book movie. This one, I don't think people were expecting this to be something. I think they saw the trailers of it. and They were just like, girls in sailor suits with swords. Okay, Zack Snyder, you go ahead. So like, I was going to watch it expecting to goof on it. And then two hours later, I'm just kind of quiet and bewildered. The jokes had stopped maybe about five minutes into the movie. It was an odd experience watching this for the first time. So I just never thought of it again. I kind of stored it away in the Zack Snyder pile of movies I might have liked, but also never thought of again. So when this came up in the Discord poll, I was excited to watch this one because this also happens to be one of the Bombshell's favorite movies. So I was really excited to revisit it with newer eyes. But she really did not want us to do this episode at first because, you know, this is something she loves. She doesn't want to listen to two dudes kind of nitpick. Oh, well, you know, I didn't really believe that. I, no, she didn't want that at all. But then she also realized, like, what this show is. You know, I'm not coming here to bag on this movie. I'm not coming here to insult it. So she was actually the one who cast the deciding vote in the Discord poll to swing it in Sucker Punch's favor. So this one has uh, the bombshell seal of approval. So I'm I'm excited to talk about this, Mac. Well, what are your thoughts going in? I think I think I said a lot, but I, I would love to hear from you on this one.
1: Well, you're right in terms of the uh, Zack Snyder uh, au revoir, because you know he had done uh, Dawn of the Dead and you know, Watchmen in 300, but this was the first like Zack Snyder original concept, and so it's like oh, I guess this is what. Zack Snyder is and like seeing the commercials in the trailer for it and seeing like, you know, uh, a schoolgirl take on a, a mega samurai with a minigun. It's like, oh, OK, I guess uh, insane visuals. I can definitely understand not when you hear like two dudes like talk about a movie if it was like uh, uh, women talking directed by Sarah Polly. But this is, um, you know, cinema's favorite bro, Zack Snyder. I feel like this is this is deep in bro territory. Not that you and I are like pop collar uh, shotgunning beer bros or whatever, but 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 yeah, I I think it's safe for us to talk about this. I mean, I get what you're saying. If you like something, you don't necessarily need to hear people, you know, uh, picking it apart. But yeah, David, so as you know, I am a member of DADS, uh, which D-A-D-S stands for Dads Against Dream Sequences. And there is a lot of this movie that is a dream sequence. And, you know, going into this movie to talk about it in good faith, I'm going to take deal breakers off the table. And so not that having a movie being extended dream sequence is a deal breaker for me, unless it's that movie like Identity. You know, I'm talking about the James Mangold film where it was
0: all in a guy's head. Fuck you. Wasn't that pretty much the other script and adaptation, the one that Charlie Kaufman's brother wrote? It was the three. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I'll. All I remember was it's man versus
1: uh, horse, horse versus train. But you know what? I'm going to go ahead and be open to the idea that a lot of this movie takes place in a fantasy world. But yeah, man, Sucker Punch is is nuts. You know, I was doing a little research into how this movie was perceived or what Zack Snyder thought about it. And he kind of was like taken aback by the reaction to it. Like, oh, this movie's uh, exploitative, that, you know, these women are dressed up in these kind of like, you know, masturbatory fantasy clothes. And he was like, what? That's on you, audience. If you are bringing that, then you are bringing that, not me. I hear what he's saying a little bit, but man, I don't know. Like you're giving these uh the characters in this movie are named like what? Sweet pea, baby doll, and like the clothes they're wearing. It's just like you've set a little trap here for, you know, a little perv trap. And the fact that a perv wandered in, you can't you can't blame them. And I'm not saying, look, this is we're getting real close to me being like, oh uh, this movie's asking for it by the way, dressed. That is not what I'm saying. Not at all. I'm just saying if Zack Snyder dresses his movie in uh, exploitative style and people complain about that, I don't think it's a gotcha moment from Zack Snyder.
0: But you know what? I think I think off the bat, we might have a bit of a disagreement here because it's. I think this episode feels like one of those where we should have someone to turn to and be like, what do you think, woman point of view? Because watching the movie and and, and talking with the bombshell about it, the female characters, the way they look and the way they're dressed... It feels like they appeal more to women than they would to men. Like, if, if Zack Snyder was trying to appeal to men, I feel like there would be a lot more cleavage on that baby doll outfit. I feel like there might be a slit up the side. But like the bombshell was, was saying during the movie, if she was playing a video game, this is how she would dress her characters. She was really into Sweet Peas' uh, cloak, you know, stuff like that. So, like, I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, I'm not so sure... I, th- I think this was Zack Snyder's clumsy attempt at appealing to women. I just think it was Zack Snyder doing it. And that's going to be one of the main problems throughout this episode.
1: Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I, I get that it, if someone makes an attempt and they fail pretty hard, at least they're trying, I guess, give them some points. However, it's not just like the visuals of this movie. The fact that like none of these women have agency at all, you know, that they're in kind of like th- their fantasy world puts them into further, like, exploitation. I don't know, man. This movie, uh, like, look, I feel like, uh, listeners, if you watch this movie, 10 minutes into it, or 15 minutes into it, I don't remember, you're going to know how you feel about this thing. But you know what? That's, uh, we're still going to talk about it. I will say this, David. Sucker Punch is the perfect bar movie Mm -hmm. because you put this on a TV behind a bar, you turn off the volume so you can play whatever music you're playing. And you're, if anyone's at the bar and they're seeing some of these visuals, they're definitely going to be like, what the fuck movie is this? <laughs> and I think that's all you want out of a bar movie. Yeah. But, David, before we go any further, I think it would help to clear up some common questions. If you search Sucker Punch Ending on Google, David, it took me so many entries to get the little frequently asked questions thing to pop up. Weird. On Google for some reason, like Sucker Punch Plot, Sucker Punch Zack Snyder, none of them, but Sucker Punch Ending popped up some frequently asked questions so we will do some quickly provided answers. David was baby doll lobotomized? What are you stupid? That was the whole point of the movie. Mac how does the movie punch end? I assume by punch they <laughs> mean sucker punch even though they probably don't
0: and the answer is um oh man it was, you know it's grim it was a grim ending not gonna lie to you. Did Sweet Pea escape? No she didn't because she had to sign on to Sucker Punch 2 so she's making up more fantasies for the sequel. Mac are Sweet Pea and baby doll the same person? Oh shit here we go. What a, what a dumb goddamn question david imagine having to type
1: this question into google you couldn't have felt good about yourself you know what i mean our sweet pea and baby doll the same person uh google should have just been like hey man there's other things going on uh and of course the answer is um uh, i don't know yes who cares all right david before we dive into a tragedy that takes place entirely at a home for the mentally insane let's check in with two friends who live their entire lives in the metaphorical home for the criminally interesting david Hada dish my man because it is a friendship check-in dj
0: how are you oh no throw out my case i am criminally uninteresting oh no <laughs> i need a haircut uh, this is like uh i've noticed the facial hair is growing too much and also like hey, you look
1: like mark Marin.
0: <laughs> oh boy can't wait <laughs> but like there's gonna reach a point where i do have to trim my hair and my face in order to get a new job because I'm running uh, I I'm at my wit's end with my current job, Mac, and I don't want to tip my hand to them. I don't want them to be like, "Wait a second, why did he shave? Wait a second, why does he look good on these Zoom calls? Oh, wait a second, he's going somewhere else." So like I've got to find a way to like <laughs> that's, cut, cut my hair that's a little real bit paranoid and <laughs> thinking. I'm a real paranoid guy. Yeah. Fair enough. But that's what's going on with me, Mac. I'm, I'm paranoid about my job and about life. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, David. I don't know if we ever talked about uh, Thanksgiving uh, in, in previous episodes. What did you, did you do anything?
0: No, I, I did not. I was actually working that day. So once we were done working, we ordered takeout. We tipped very generously. And then what did we watch? I want to say The Haunting of Bly Manor. I think we finished that for Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Oh, a Mike Flanagan classic.
1: we did a Friendsgiving for the first time. And that Friendsgiving was at the home of our friends, uh, Aaron and Derek. By the way, they just said that they uh, were listening to this podcast. And they said they had just, so shout out to Derek and Aaron. And they said they just finished an episode on Book of Eli. Hmm. And Derek had seen it and Aaron had not. Their conclusion at the end, uh, Aaron's was at least that she's like, oh, well, now I never have to watch it, which (laughs) I guess... I don't know if that speaks highly of the podcast or, or, or it just, or that's just the takeaway. But, but look, if that's your takeaway from this podcast, then I honestly feel real good about it. The fact that we've covered a movie to where you're like, I'm not even the least bit interested in this. I'm going to choose to be optimistic and
0: say that like, oh, they've said everything that needs to be said. <laughs> not that we just dunked on this movie for too long i've experienced both sides of this it's a real thrill of victory agony of defeat because for book of eli maybe you're welcome i don't know i don't want to be cruel about it but then i saw uh, someone on cruel the Discord. about it <laughs> well it's a hard-working movie but then i saw someone <laughs> on the discord was like hey thanks for that episode on need for speed i never have to watch that movie i was like no i wanted everyone to watch that movie i think you missed the point <laughs> that was of it. your whole
1: thing <laughs> that was your bag on that one yeah I also want to give a shout out. I've been meaning to do this for a while. Uh, Jordan is a, uh, a dude who is mentioning he likes this podcast. And he also is a fan of Master Pancake. He came up to me after a, a comedy show, Master Pancake Theater comedy show. And he said that he, I forget where he drove to, but he went on a long road trip. Mm. And he listened to like 16 episodes of this podcast back to back. Oh. And the fact that he did not come up to murder me. Uh, which is, I thought, he's like, I can't no more. <laughs> I had to say, that's the kindest thing anyone could have ever done. So I, I hope it was I hope it was past the time. Thanks for listening to all those, Jordan. That's amazing. Also, shout out to uh, Jordan's partner, uh, Rebecca. Uh, I, I know this about him. They really like pinball. Oh, cool. I like pinball. Everybody loves pinball. David, don't tilt that
0: cabinet because is it time to do this thing? Matt, get your uh, lobotomy stabbing and stick. We're going in.
1: <laughs> you mean my Lobo, Spike?
0: Okay, good. I had Lobo in my notes too, and so I started calling Do- uh, John Ham Doctor Lobo. So uh, I'm glad that passed on.
1: By the way, I remember seeing John Ham's name like in the um, like the credits of this movie or whatever at the bottom of the poster, and so I was waiting the entire time for John Ham, and he shows up right at the end. Uh, so if anyone's on Ham Watch, just be patient. It takes a while <laughs> to get that Ham. All right, David. In case someone has never seen Sucker Punch. Or it's been a minute, can you, just a level set, give the back of the
0: box description? Sure thing. Born from the creative vision of filmmaker Zack Snyder, Watchmen 300, this epic action fantasy launches from the wild imagination of a young woman whose dream world provides the ultimate escape from her darker reality. Locked away against her will, baby doll Emily Browning has not lost her will to survive. Determined to fight for her freedom, she urges four fellow captives, Reluctant Sweet B. Abby Cornish, Outspoken Rocket Jenna Malone, Street Smart Blondie Vanessa Hudgens, and Fiercely Loyal Amber Jamie Chung to band together and try to escape their terrible fate at the hands of their captors. 2011 110 Minutes, directed by Zack Snyder, rated PG-13 for thematic material involving sexuality, violence and combat sequences, and for language. I have to say this back-of-the-box description, painting a kind of a rosy picture of their situation. Even though it says
1: terrible fate, it still is like, like a little too rosy. Like it should say, you're uh, just her four fellow captives, like <laughs> reluctant sweet bee. It's like, hold on, uh, like captives. The fact that it's like reluctant, outspoken, street smart, fiercely loyal. It's still uh, imprisoned sweet pea, uh, doomed to die in jail, (laughs) rocket, like, you know, cruelly held captive blondie. Her life will never be a good Amber. Like, it's just, it's like, I'm fiercely loyal. You're also on death row. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not. It's
0: pretty grim. This description is a few shades darker than the plot description for Muppet Babies. It's really got the same, <laughs> the same bones, the same skeleton, but the meat on it is is a bit different. All right, David, how does this movie start? All right, Mac. This movie starts with curtains up on the home of a lady we'll call Baby Doll, played by Emily Browning. Her mother has just died, and her stepfather is upset that his now dead wife left everything to Baby Doll and Baby Doll's little sister. When he tries to take his aggressions out on Baby Doll's sister, Baby Doll threatens him with a gun. But in a fluke accident, Baby Doll shoots and kills her sister. Baby Doll is deemed insane and is sent to the local mental institution, where she's given a lobotomy. End of movie. Damn, uh, no,
1: David, that's not the end. We have a giant flashback, even though we just zoomed over. We, yeah, we, uh, that's how the movie starts. <laughs> Here comes that Lobo Spike. Uh, very early on in the movie, but but okay, so the movie begins. We get a little bit of voice over here. Do we want
0: to hear this? Yeah, let's go ahead and play some audio here.
1: Everyone has an angel, a guardian who watches over us. We can't know what form they'll take. One day, old man, next day, little girl. But don't let appearances fool you. They can be as fierce as any dragon so if you're waiting for those guardian angels to show up you you know just remember that for the very end because then i think once we got to flash forward once we got the end of this movie i was like so where's this fucking guy okay okay so just i don't know something to keep in the back of your brain
0: i'll tell you in the next segment it does not need to be kept a secret in fact it is helpful to know who the guardian angel is this voiceover is helpful i found that out the second time i watched this uh because the first time i just sort of glossed over it and the second time i was listening to it i was like Hey, you know this actually applies to the movie, and I was like, okay, maybe that'll be my disclaimer to people: is uh, pay attention to the voiceover when it's talking about uh, holding power over the worlds you create. That's going to apply to this movie. But something else you'll notice about this movie, right at the opening and then throughout, is the soundtrack. It's going to be a lot of covers. It's going to be a lot of I don't know. I don't like whispery, sort of piano, slowed down piano versions of your favorite pop hits of the '80s and '90s. First one's going to be Sweet Dreams, but it's not the Marilyn Manson version, thankfully. This one's going to be done by Emily Browning, uh, the star of the movie. She's going to have three songs on the soundtrack, and I was pleasantly surprised to find that out. Yeah, David,
1: I I feel like a lot of the music cues in this movie are like a little too on the nose, but the fact that Emily Browning sings it, I think that's pretty cool, actually. Good for her.
0: There's something about it. There's something about getting the character. When I was reading up on this movie, as a quick aside, I noticed that uh, Zack Snyder had mentioned Moulin Rouge, as one of his influences for this movie, and once I found that out, a lot of stuff clicked into place. As far as like what he was going for in terms of spectacle, even though it's a movie about women in a mental institution, there was something about knowing that that helped me enjoy this movie a little bit more.
1: So, as we see the home of a uh, baby doll, she's sitting in a room looking sad, and a doctor walks in, and Emily looks up at him with these expectant eyes, and the doctor gives like the slow like shake of the head. As if to say, yep, your mom is dead. Didn't make it. And it's a classic, like, a head shake. You think the doctor thought about that? They're like, oh, man, the mom died. How am I going to break it to uh, this young girl? I know, wordlessly. I'll just shake my
0: head and just, if she gets a great, if not, just keep on shaking. Oh, I figure he works on his head shake. I figure he's been around so much death in his life that he's perfected like, okay, you've got a good cadence, you got a good rhythm. It doesn't feel too happy. It doesn't feel too eager. You're not, ex- you're not excited to move on. Like, it's mournful. It's rueful. This is, it's something you got to work on. Yeah, because I was practicing it right now. And if you go too fast, <laughs> it seems like,
1: imagine you have to tell a character that their loved one died and you shake that head too fast. That's almost like, hey, you don't want to go in there. That shit's (laughs) fucked up. But right away, David, this opening sequence, I mean, you look at it and it's kind of like a big duh that Zack Snyder directed so many comic book movies. Because in a way, he's like the perfect kind of comic book director. And I don't mean that like, oh, he's a perfect director to like handle superheroes and bring them to the big screen. I just mean, if you look at this opening sequence, like every one of these shots could be a comic book panel. And what I mean by that is every shot does a really good job of storytelling. Now, that storytelling can be pretty broad. You know, like the idea of like, I'm furious, and so I'm going to make a furious face. Like there's not a lot of subtlety to it. But honestly, it's like the way they're framed. It's just, he does pack a lot of storytelling into like single images, even if it's not the most nuanced of story.
0: You know, this was something I was gonna bring up later when we start to get to the fantasy sequences, but I'll go ahead and bring it up now. This is a movie that has a lot of splash page moments. And they're really, you know, yeah, credit to this movie. There are a lot of awesome splash page moments, you know, single shots or frames or scenes where you're just like, this is cool. And it gets to the point where it feels like an entire movie of splash pages, which is okay. But if you correlate it with, you know, splash pages in comic books, I remember in the heyday of the 90s, there was a lot of criticism for artists who relied too much on splash pages. You know, you still got to tell a story. You still got to be able to, you know, break it up into smaller panels and, and get some emotion out of it. You can't just paint an entire page with, you know, a guy killing a dragon or something like that. So I think this movie kind of has the pros and cons of a splash page movie. It, you know, there's a lot of stuff that gets burned in your brain and, and is very memorable, but it's also, it might feel a little saggy in terms of connective tissue.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a spot on take on this. And so we see uh, it goes from there to the funeral and the stepdad is a little too happy that the mom is dead. And he's, he's like, man, I'm gonna, can't wait to ship these kids off. But he opens up the mom's will. This is all set to the the music. And he sees that his now dead wife left everything to the daughters. He's furious. I don't think he was trying to like sexually assault Uh, baby doll i think he was just kind of going after her but david there is a close-up of him like kind of a slowed down thing of him pulling on her shirt her top and the top button of it like flies off was that did you get the idea that he was trying to sexually assault her
0: or is this just him being just a I don't know, a a violent monster. You know, I think the movie is made in such a way, if I could say this, to where it doesn't want you to go too far with your thinking on it. Like, it wants you to know something bad's about to happen. Because keep in mind, this is a PG-13 movie, and we'll talk about it throughout the movie. It's a surprisingly bloodless movie. But, like, I also think, you know, because of that, it didn't want to go too hard. In fact, I even think Zack Snyder was making this for, like, a young adult audience. I think he was making this for, like, teenagers maybe. So he didn't want to be too explicit with what was happening. I just think it wanted, he wanted to set a sense of peril.
1: Well, I know he originally intended this movie to be rated R and then got it, wait, was this PG-13 or was this R? This is PG-13. And then got talked into making it, I don't know, less uh, you know, less R rated, I guess. Hmm. Okay. But yeah,
0: Baby Doll's not having this from uh from Monster Stepdad. What does she do? She claws him in the face. She, you know, she's fighting back and she scrapes her nails down his face. I was very excited about this. So, you know, because it was just nice to see, it was nice for the movie to establish that baby doll is going to fight back. I know that they're going to be stuck in a mental institution and she's going to rely on her her imagination for the better part of the movie. But I also like that the movie established that she's not just going to be stuck in a life of, of taking it.
1: So monster stepdad, when he, you know, he manages to lock baby doll in a room and then he's like, well, fuck it. Uh, I guess I'll now sexually assault her little sister. Like, I felt that was pretty clear. And I, I don't think I think he was doing it just because he's it was almost like a fuck you to a baby doll, which that felt a little. I don't know. This, this thing felt weird. The fact that he was going to commit a rape with the drop
0: of a hat felt, uh, I don't know, uncomfortable. That's the word I'd use. This is where talking about the movie turns into a bit of a minefield, especially from the point of view of seeing this as a Zack Snyder movie, seeing this as his attempt at maybe a more feminist work because it's still rooted in violence against women and it's still rooted in the subjugation of women, which I think is also the point. But at the same time, I think you need a more accomplished hand to navigate you through that. So I'm with you. I don't mind it so much because that's you know, again, that's at the heart of what the movie is, but I, I can I can appreciate bristling at it. But baby doll
1: escapes the room. She finds a gun somehow. Was I looking away or does was the gun
0: explained? No, the gun was not explained.
1: Yeah, she has a gun all of a sudden and uh, she wants to show stepdad that, that she means business. She puts a gun right at his face. And I don't know about you, David, but I'm at this moment uh, screaming at the screen. Uh, kill him, kill him, kill him. But she fires off a warning shot. But the warning shot hits a light bulb, and the, I guess the shot beep, 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 um, ricochets and it goes into the the head of her little sister. Oh no, she's killed her own sister. Monster stepdad is like, oh, I know how to spin this. I'll say she did it on purpose. Next thing you know, the cops are here, and Baby Doll is on a uh, a one way trip to a uh, the home for the mentally insane. I think is what it
0: says on the the sign outside. That's right, the Lennox House in Brattleboro, Vermont. So, uh, where all the craziest people live. Yeah, David, crazy hot. I don't know if
1: you saw this cast. The Brattleboro, Vermont. The the genetics there, my my goodness. Even the monsters. Like Oscar Isaac plays a complete piece of shit in this movie. That guy's handsome.
0: But I can't help but think, you know, so like you said, baby doll pulls a gun on the stepfather. I don't even know if it was a warning shot. I think she tried in earnest to shoot him, but it, she just, you know, she was, uh, it, it was a part of her growth is that she's going to learn how to fire a gun in her imagination later. But I think she just kind of got scared or timid and, and shot it else elsewhere. But like, I can't help but think of the sliding doors version of this movie where she shoots her stepdad. And maybe goes to jail for a few years or something like that. Maybe goes to a, like a women's prison at the end of Chicago and learns musical numbers. Instead of what actually happens where she gets sent to a institute for the criminally insane and gets lobotomized five days later. So, man, you really got to you gotta shoot that stepfather when you get a chance.
1: Yeah, you really got to pull the trigs and old stepdaddy. Uh, but at the Linux house, we quickly see... The Orderly Blue, played by Oscar Isaac, and Dr. Gorski, played by Carla Gugino. And then, like, uh, the stepdad has, like, made a deal with Oscar Isaac, like you kind of tell they like they're working out something, and what that working out is a lobotomy.
0: Yes, because Baby Doll has secrets about the stepfather and about the truth of of what happened to Baby Doll's sisters. So the stepfather wants to make sure those secrets die with Baby Doll. So uh, in five days' time, the lobotomizer is going to come, and for an extra two grand, uh, the stepfather is going to make sure it happens.
1: So David Carla Gugino has worked with Zack Snyder on a few movies. You know, this one, Watchmen, and then I I think he used her as a a voice in some of the DC movies he did. And also, Mike Flanagan has made multiple projects uh, with Carla Gugino. You mentioned one earlier. I just finished uh, House of Usher, that Netflix series, which I thought was great. Okay, cool. And then also, Robert Rodriguez has made multiple movies with Carla Gugino. Here's my take on Carla Gugino. People like working with her because she must be awesome.
0: Yes, I agree. We were we were talking about that when we were watching the movie. Just what an amazing career she's had! Like even from her early beginnings on *Spin City*, all the way to just being a part of other filmmakers' stock company. Like you know, that's got to be a ringing endorsement. And she's just also very talented. She's also you know ageless. Uh, So yeah, I'm always rooting for Carla Gugino.
1: Yeah, I don't know how many movies that she has starred in where she's like the name above the title, but, you know, I, I every time I see her in something, I'm like, oh, great, Scarlett Gugino, she's awesome. Yeah. But they say that uh, her character, Dr. Gorski, because uh, this, um, this mental institution, like the main room here, like there's a stage and on the stage is like a kind of a bedroom set. Like, like uh, as if there would be a, like a, a play or or a TV show like that kind of set.
0: Yeah, it's a gymnasium slash auditorium. There's a bed on the on the stage. There's a, a crudely made background, and they're engaging in what Blue refers to as Polish therapy because Doctor Gorski is from Poland. This is her practice, and what it is is her as the doctor making her patients act out their trauma. So actually, you know what? In fact, we'll, we'll play some audio of Blue describing Polish therapy.
1: Polish therapy, <laughs> it's really quiet a show watching act that who touch them or beat them or whatever. Dr. Gorski seems to think it helps. I'm, I'm not so sure, but whether it does or doesn't won't matter much to you because once we take care of a little bit of business, there won't be any of that for this one.
0: Now, I've never heard of Polish therapy, Mac, and I did not look it up as to whether or not it's a real thing, but if it was made up for this movie, that does feel a little weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know, David.
1: I, I do know that I watched uh, the remake of the show *The Prisoner*. There was maybe a BBC production, but I watched it on AMC, mm. and it had Cunanan's own Jim Caviezel in it, and I think Ian McKellen. <laughs> and at some point, they referred to uh, therapy as the talking cure. And mm. every time I have to talk to my therapist, uh, I, I tell my uh, my fair wife, "I'm like, oh, I gotta go for the talking cure." And then my fair wife goes, "What?" And I go, and I have to explain that reference again. And I could tell she, her eyes glaze over about two seconds. Yeah. In. So there you go. <laughs> But David, as if somebody is pip, 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 like shuffling a pack of cards, we zoom ahead, I guess, five days because that is when uh, Blue, the orderly, like the orderly in charge, Oscar Isaac, when he says like, my guy coming to the lobotomy, he's not gonna be here till five days anyway. And like a couple seconds, we're five days in because we get uh, this like very dramatic slow motion shot of the spike the lobotomy spike you know in place and a hammer is coming to hit it but as right before it can hit it we cut to what
0: well mac we go from the lobotomy in progress to a, a performance of the lobotomy where sweet pea played by abby cornish is the star of the show put on by dr gorski as part of blue's side hustle running his own mental institution with blackjack and hookers Baby Doll is introduced to Sweet Pea as well as Sweet Pea's sister Rocket, played by Jenna Malone, and the other two, Amber, played by Jimmy Chung, and Blondie, played by Vanessa Hudgens. Rocket and Baby Doll become friends after Baby Doll puts a knife to the throat of Rocket's attacker, and Baby Doll is asked to dance for the first time, where she is taken to a fantasy world full of giant warriors, and hey, there's Scott Glenn. <laughs> yeah, a
1: lot going on. But as we enter the fantasy world, we cut from what we expect to see Emily Browning's face to the face of Abby Cornish. And she's like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Get the spike away from me. And then, you know, as you mentioned, it gets revealed as a performance. And let's hear what uh, Sweet Peep, played by Abby Cornish, has to say. This is a joke, right? (sighs) Don't you get the point of this? It's to turn people on. I get the sexy little schoolgirl. I even get the helpless mental patient, right? That can be hot. What is this lobotomized vegetable? So right away, you could tell this movie is like self-aware. You know, it's like, look, we know what we are presenting to you. We know the implications of what these visuals, you know, the the baggage they carry with them or whatever. The the vibe that they're trying to go for. The movie is like, no, we know what we're doing here. And this is on purpose. Which, again, I think that softens a little bit of the blow if you're describing this movie as Exploitative. I don't think it completely puts this movie in the clear. But anyway, it's it's interesting.
0: Well, yeah, you know, not to overthink this movie, but I I will because I can't help it. But, you know, as I said at the top, I think people expected something out of a Zack Snyder movie in the sense that they expected something they didn't have to think about. And I think this is Zack Snyder's attempt to make maybe a cerebral movie, maybe a self-referential movie. And I don't think the audience was ready for it. But I think there is a lot going on here. Even referring back to the, the frequently asked questions at the top of the show, that fourth question where they were asking if Baby Doll is Sweet Pea, there's a moment here where that idea is planted because we're going from Baby Doll's lobotomy to a performance where Sweet Pea is playing Baby Doll in the lobotomy scene. I think that's neat. I think it's a neat topic of conversation. But like I said earlier, I wish it was in more capable hands. I feel like a filmmaker with a more deft touch uh, could have made this a lot more interesting of a conversation.
1: Yeah. And there's another, the approach to this, I don't know, I got a little difference of opinion on it in terms of, not with you, but with uh, Mr. Snyder. And I'll talk about that in my punch up. But this fantasy that we're entering in, uh, in terms of being a dream sequence, as we find out later, this is not a dream sequence you know and i I don't think that's spoiling it to give it away in fact because it would help me enjoy it more because the events that are happening here in in this uh because how would you describe this world i guess Let's, let's let's talk about that the the fantasy world instead of the linux home for the mentally insane what is it now
0: so now it is more of a lavish club the walls are papered with velvet there's a lot of you know cocktail lounge wear around. In Baby Doll's mind, this is a place where shows are performed, like imagine Prohibition era, that kind of thing, maybe like a speakeasy. In fact, I guess that's that's a perfect thing to call this since it is a mental institution, but Blue is running some special favors out of the side of it. He can get you guns if you need guns. He can get you prescriptions if you need prescriptions, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's a lot more lavish, but this is going to be the world that Baby Doll creates. In order to tell what would otherwise be a horrific story,
1: yeah, and Baby Doll casts like much kind of like the Wizard of Oz. She casts all the characters in their roles. So Blue goes from uh, Oscar Isaac. He goes from like the main orderly to like the person who like owns the theater, I guess, who like runs it. He's like the theater's manager. Uh, Doctor Gorski, Carla Gugino. She goes from a therapist to basically like the um, the dance instructor, I or the choreographer. Excuse right. me, the main choreographer. Of the club and baby dolls, fellow inmates go from, or excuse me, patients. But I'm gonna say inmates because I got a feeling a lot of these, like, quote unquote, crazy women just didn't want to quote unquote, uh, fuck their terrible husbands. And so they're like, right. Oh, uh, you don't want to be my slave. Uh, you're you must be crazy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so she casts her, her fellow, uh, slash patients as fellow dancers. But the thing is, is we find out later the major events. Of this fantasy world correspond to events as they happen in the quote unquote real life of this story, like in the reality of the movie. As we find out later, you know, it it, it matches up to this fantasy. So it's not so much like a fantasy world, like The Matrix. It's just more like a fantasy coding on what's really happening you know like if let's say if baby doll like you know punches somebody out and in real life she does punch that person out they're just you know they're not a uh, and like an old timey grease mustache guy it's just a some- Shithead who works at a mental institute.
0: Yeah, this movie reminded me of a lot of movies, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reference a lot of movies throughout this episode. But in in talking about the fantasy world or the world within a world, or rather just the story that is told instead of the horrific thing, it reminded me of Life of Pi. Did you ever see Life of Pi? Yes. Yeah, where you know that's essentially the thrust of that movie, and I remember feeling slightly cheated with that one as well because. You know, not to spoil anything, you've had 12 years to watch it or whatever, but the whole man lying on a boat, that is a story that is made up to tell instead of the horrors of what actually happened, escaping his home and, you know, being, you know, watching everyone around and be murdered or that sort of thing. That movie is critically acclaimed. That movie was, you know, award eligible, that kind of thing. So I guess what I'm saying, I'm, I'm prefacing my, uh, my inventory uh, coming up next episode, where I'm probably going to watch Life of Pi again, because there's a lot of movies that I can compare this movie to that were a lot better received. So I want to know what worked there that doesn't work here. Well, I'll tell you, I
1: was going to save this for a punch up, but I think what doesn't work here is the fact that we start with the reality. We hmm. start with the lobotomy spike. So we already know the world of the the nightclub and then the whatever, the dance fight sequences, where do you know that's like not real? Hmm. So I, I wish they'd honestly saved that all towards the end. Okay. I, you know, like I, I wish the idea that this was not reality was something we didn't know. Because the fact that I knew ahead of time was not reality, I just, the entire time was like, the fuck is this? So yeah, I, I, I think that would have, honestly, God, I think that would have improved this movie so much more for me.
0: i buy that for sure. But nevertheless, Baby Doll is going to make friends around the around the asylum. I'm just going to call it the asylum. I don't even know if that's the PC thing to call it, but it's just easier for me. But one of the friends she makes right away is Rocket, again played by Jenna Malone. This was originally supposed to be Evan Ra- Rachel Wood. That's gonna be another thing. Quick sidebar, sorry, I'm gonna do a lot of tangents in this episode, but like I remember when this movie first came out, or when it was in production. A lot of the names who were originally in the cast dropped out, they got replaced. And I remember thinking that was sort of a red flag for the movie itself, where it's like, oh, why can't people stick with this movie? But Baby Doll was originally supposed to be Amanda Seyfried, Rocket was originally supposed to be Evan Rachel Wood, and Amber was originally supposed to be Emma Stone. So I think I've spent a lot of the years since I first saw this movie, wondering how much better of a movie this could have been if those original actors had taken on this role. But I can't think about that now. I just have to accept the movie for what it is. Sorry for that tangent. Anyway, Rocket is in danger. She works in the kitchen with some gross, greasy chef. Uh, She gets caught stealing a square of baker's chocolate, which if I'm not mistaken, Mac, isn't baker's chocolate the bad chocolate? It's bad chocolate, David. Okay, it's like bitter, it's for baking. It's not supposed to be... Certainly don't steal it and certainly don't put yourself at risk of stealing it. And also, if you're gonna take a square of it, just take the whole box it's for inventory purposes. Like he won't notice that. But the, the chef gets angry, he starts to thrust himself upon her in an aggressive way, and here comes Baby Doll, pulls a knife from the cook's scabbard, and holds it to his his throat. I like this. Again, the thing I like about this fantasy world is that it allows Baby Doll to correct the mistakes or the shortcomings in the real world. Like she's not a very good shot in the real world as evidenced by her stepfather is still alive, but she's an excellent shot. She always has the right things to say in this world. Like, I, I don't know. There's something about it. I appreciate.
1: Yeah. And about that, like chef or cook or whatever, reacting to this square of Baker's chocolate. So in on Wikipedia, it refers to this place as a brothel. Now hmm. we do see the beginning of the movie, uh, rocket shows, baby doll, like a rotating bed and you're like, Oh, I guess this is where you take your Johns or something like that. But I don't ever get that sense again. It just seems like a nightclub where these women are slaves, which is okay. You know, terrible. Right. Um, But like these women are the main attraction. Sorry, a chef who's just chopping up some potatoes. So if they steal a little bit of chocolate, uh, let it slide. I mean, it's just, it's like, if we're going to put this fantasy gloss on it, I need that to track. You know what I mean? I, just, I need that reality to kind of hold together as well. Uh, but you know what? This is uh, me picking it apart a little too much. So I'm going to say, ignore what I just said.
0: No, I think you're right. But I, And I think the reaction you're looking for comes later in the movie when Rocket gets killed. And Oscar Isaac's like mad at the chef about it. He's like, what did you do, you moron? So yeah, I think this movie could benefit from a little consistency.
1: But in the reality here of the uh, theatrical world, we go to dance practice for the girls and it's uh, yeah, at this moment they're like, "All right, baby doll, let's see what you got."
0: Yeah, because uh, I guess for one reason or another, Sweet Pea is upset about something. So it's like, "All right, if Sweet Pea can't dance, baby doll, you're up." And she's hesitant, you know, because she's in this insane asylum slash nightclub. She's very shy, but Dr. Gorski is gonna have some words of encouragement. She's gonna say this: "If you
1: do not dance, you have no purpose." And we don't keep things here that have no purpose. You see, your fight for survival starts right now.
0: And again, maybe I'm just a sucker for this movie the second time around, or you know, on this new viewing. I like this. I like that Carlo Gugino, or I like that there are pieces in place to keep Baby Doll and, and her group motivated. I I, I like Carlo Gugino. Period. Although I'm saying this now, I wish she had played more of a role in like the later aspects of the plan or the escape or anything like that. She actually kind of turns them in, but I just I like Carla Gugino in this moment. It's motivating Baby Doll to get out there and and show her stuff.
1: But right before Baby Doll can start dancing, we cut away David to a super fantasy world. Now, just to clarify, we have reality insane Asylum. And then we have this, you know, this fantasy, that's really more of like a protective delusion. We'll call that nightclub. And then we have the actual fantasy, where three levels deep in Inception here, and I'm going to call this place War World. And so we now enter War World. And, and David, that's kind of the I don't know the crux of that right of this movie is that we, even though in the um, the nightclub, you know, where Emily Browning uh, baby doll is this like amazing dancer, we never actually see her dance. Because every time we're about to see her dance, it cuts to War World. So the dance sequences in this movie are instead action sequences. Now, there's a part of me that I feel like should like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, but I think that part of me is 17 years old. And now, as a, a more mature person, I'm like, I don't, I, I. This doesn't doesn't work for me, David. But I will say this: I'm. I want to go into this movie with good faith. So the fact that it doesn't entirely work for me. I will accept it and move forward with it. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I don't want the dog in Scooby-Doo to talk, but you're watching a Scooby-Doo movie, my man. The dog's going to fucking talk. So that's that's what's happening here. That's what's happening.
0: But see, and this is going to bring up another movie that was more well-received, and I, I think you just mentioned it, Inception. Because at the heart of this movie... It's really just people playing pretend to ignore their own trauma. And so there's not really, you know, so all the action is artificial. You know, it's, you're just, why are you telling me this story if it's all made up? So what was it about Inception that I really like that it's not clicking with me here where it's essentially that same thing as far as, as far as going down into levels, as far as going down into depths of reality? Because again, on, on further viewings, maybe not on the first viewing, on the first viewing, I was completely lost, but on the second and third viewings, I was able to buy that a little better, where it's like, oh, okay, this movie is about kind of burying your trauma, kind of, you know, finding ways to cope with it and live with it. So, of course, there's going to be levels to that as well. I don't know. I I just, I'm holding up other movies to this one going, well, how come this and not this?
1: Well, I think because Inception. Like, told you how it was going to work. Like, this is a dream sequence. We're going to go into a dream. But this movie, it does not tell you that the nightclub world is not a fantasy, that it is like a protective mental construct until the end of the movie. So because it's not clear what you're watching, it it's just too much WTF for me mm-hmm. uh, and, until the end of the movie. Especially because the dance sequences being action sequences, like that war world, that is... You know, like, cause in the nightclub, they're like, we need to get a knife. So, in, in the nightclub world, we're just gonna like, you know, uh, distract the cook and steal his knife. But then in War World, we're fighting robots to get the knife. It's just, uh, I don't know if it exactly links up. But in War World, we see Baby Doll, and she's uh, she's she's decked out for some anime style combat.
0: Yeah, she's wearing a little, I don't know, schoolgirl suit, sailor suit, sailor schoolgirl suit. Sure,
1: like Sailor uh,
0: Baby Doll Moon. Yeah, but I I really enjoyed this. Uh, So did the bombshell. You know, again, this is it's sexy. You know, there's there's no denying that Emily Browning is is really fun to look at on the screen. But again, I don't think this costume or this imagery was made with the man in mind. I feel like you would have seen more butt cheek or something like that, or maybe like hard nips, if I could say that. Like, wait, hold on, hold on.
1: So wait, the fact that (laughs) it's not sexier means that. It's not made for, I feel like it can also be made for dudes without being like too, you know, too much nudity involved.
0: I don't know if I want to like white knight this movie where it's like, hey, movie, you know, think about the women for once. I think this movie kind of is thinking about the women. I think these costumes really just feel like precursors to cosplay. Like this feels like something you would see at a convention, which is a lot more commonplace now or a lot more acceptable now than it was in 2011, if that makes sense. Mm I will
1: say one more thing about it, then I'll shut up about it. And that is, like, in the uh, the poster for the movie Avengers, Marvel's The Avengers, you had uh, all the Avengers, like, ready and, uh, for action, poised for battle. And then Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson, was, like, with kind of butt out, looking over shoulder, just kind of smoldering right there. Mm. And what people started doing is they would take, like, pictures of Hawkeye and, like, make it so Hawkeye was in all these sexy poses. Yeah to point it out. And you might be like, well, Black Widow's fully clothed. You know, she's not wearing like a thong. She is, you know, completely covered. It's like, yeah, but she's still there as a little bit of eye candy. And I know that the movie's self-aware about eye candy, but at the end of the day, I think it's still eye candy. And you know, how you feel about that audience is up to you. I'm not gonna, I'll I'll stop. uh, I'll get off my, uh, my white, my white horse. Weird. (laughs) I'll, I'll get off my high horse cuz cuz I'm too high to be on a horse, David.
0: <laughs> Get off. No, I th- I think it's a conversation that'll just go in circles, but I also I completely understand where you're coming from. I just think we're we have a difference of opinion of it. Sure. But I will say about War World, I mentioned Scott Glenn. I'm going to tell you right now. Scott Glenn is the guardian angel that the voiceover referred to at the beginning. In case you're going to spend the rest of the movie wondering, "What is Scott Glenn doing here? Are they ever going to explain it?" No. I'm telling you now, okay? This isn't a spoiler. It's actually helpful. You knew going in that Bagger Vance was the stuff of legend, and it didn't ruin the movie for you. So I'm telling you now, Scott Glenn is the guardian angel.
1: I thought Baby Doll was the guardian angel because Baby Doll ended up looking out for Sweet Pea at the end. Well, wow, now that's interesting. You're not wrong because he does serve as a GA later in the movie.
0: Yes. Oh, uh, and and you just touched on a conversation that we will probably have at the end of this plot synopsis. But yes, I I've thought that as well.
1: So Scott Glenn also played Stick daredevil's gruff sensei in the uh the netflix series daredevil how does scott glenn get typecast as a gruff sensei did not see that coming
0: i think scott glenn just looks enough like david carradine for them to be like oh you can play vaguely racist (laughs) (laughs) archetypes sure come on in but but let's talk about war world a little bit let's talk about this first sort of challenge that Scott Glenn. Well, he's called Wise Man in the credits, so we'll refer to him as the Wise Man. But let's talk about this first challenge that the Wise Man puts in front of Baby Doll. He's going to introduce her to essentially three mini bosses.
1: Oh, are you talking about our first action set piece, samurai shootout, David?
0: Oh, you bet I am. Yeah, it's going to be these three giant, almost statues of samurai warriors, but they're uh, they've come to life. Uh, one of them has a minigun. What did you think of this sequence, Mac? Man, I'll say
1: this. Visuals, very cool. Like, I it almost feels like this is what somebody would type into one of those AI movie generators. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Schoolgirl fights uh, Samurai with a minigun. I mean, the visuals were, like, you know, cool in the way that, like, Batman fighting a shark uh, that's also a Terminator would be cool. But because I was so confused, the fight scene did not have uh, any sort of emotional weight for me. So, yeah, it felt like a video game. It felt like Mm -hmm. a really cool video game. And I could see how that could appeal to some people. But I think the other sequences worked a little bit better than this one, just because during this fight scene, her objective was not as clear to me. I mean, later on, I was like, okay, her objective was just to survive. Mm -hmm. And so by completing this action mission in in the construct of the nightclub, she was completing an amazing dance sequence. So there you go. But, you know, at this moment, I guess X-Nighter's like, you know, trying to assume what someone is thinking is a losing gambit but the idea of being like i know you're a little bit confused but i'm going to make this so cool looking that you're going to be able to ride that confusion and i'd say he was uh semi-successful with that
0: i agree with that sentiment because i think he started with the weakest set piece first in the sense that this doesn't really have any correlation to the real world like the other three set pieces coming up one has to do with the map that they have to get in real life one has to do with the fire that they have to get in real life, you know, and the the kitchen knife in real life. This one doesn't feel like it has a correlation. Like, did she beat up three of the toughest inmates the, her first night there? Like, I can't place it. So, and and being able to place it serves as the surrogate for any sort of emotional attachment. So, without that, yeah, I do feel a little lost. And, and you know, in fact, in this moment, I, I may note, like, it feels like Zack Snyder wrote the hell yeah moments of this movie first. And then wrote the rest of the movie. Like he knew he wanted to make a scene where you have to cut open a dragon to find, you know, two stones. He knew he wanted to make a scene with a runaway train. He just needed to figure out how to connect all those together.
1: But after Baby Doll dispatches those three uh samurai, you know, statue warriors, we cut back to the nightclub where everyone's like, Oh, holy shit! That was some amazing dancing. Did you see that audience? No, you fucking missed it. Uh but yeah, they love it. She's now the toast of the nightclub. Everyone's super high on her.
0: That's right. And Baby Doll, meanwhile, is now armed with the makings of an escape plan after her meeting with the wise man, uh, where he uh, tells her to grab five things from the real world, and she does. So she tries recruiting the other girls to join her, and they're all on board except for Sweet Pea. Baby Doll outlines four items the group needs to collect in order to escape a map a lighter, a knife, and a key, and instructs the girls to steal them while Baby Doll hypnotizes the owners of those items with her captivating dance moves. The first item, a map of the institution inside Blue's office. Babydoll dances for Blue, and she's transported to another fantasy world where her mission is to recover a map from an army of steampunk zombies.
1: Okay, not to skip forward to the end too much, but I'm going to do it. Uh, so at the end of the movie, you find out that the quest for her to find a map, a lighter, a knife, and a key, that this probably happened in reality. Mm. Like, that she probably knew that she had five days before she was going to get lobotomized, and she spent the five days trying to escape, or, like, you know, come up with these items, or, or fuck shit up, or whatever. And so, her going after, like, a map, or a light, or one of these items, in reality, that has a counterpart in the nightclub construct. But the action sequences are standing in for the dance sequences in nightclub. So in reality, what are the dance sequences?
0: Oh, I figure that's uh, some sort of uh, being taken advantage of. I figure that's, uh, you know, putting on a show for for the Johns. Wait, so in the reality of the Mental Institute, they're just like, hey, we're a bunch of creepy orderlies dance for us? No, no, I think they're having sex with the with the patients. I think dancing is the surrogate for being taken advantage of in the real world. And War World is the surrogate for dancing in the fantasy world.
1: So the fact that she's being uh, sexually assaulted in the real world, the fact that she goes a second layer deep into War World, that's just her brain as like a defense mechanism, you know, being like, hey, you don't need to look at reality right now. Stay up here with me. Right, uh, exactly. That's fucked up, if that's true. That's real fucked up.
0: It is, yes. This, this movie wasn't expecting a cross-examination, I don't think.
1: Yeah, and it's like, Oh, what a fun narrative device you've thought of, Zack Snyder. I have an idea. Don't make this movie. Just don't make this movie.
0: <laughs> Please
1: don't do this. But hey, he did it. We're watching it. And we're going to find things to like about it. Um, so, okay. We go into this new war world, David. Mm-hmm. This action set piece we'll call Zombie Germs. Because they're they're Germans from World War One, But they're oh, zombies. Sure, they're clockwork sure. zombies,
0: David. Yes. Jerry has found a new way to keep his soldiers alive. He, is, he has made them steam powered now. So whenever the gals shoot one of these soldiers, uh, instead of bleeding everywhere, steam pops out. And I gotta tell you, I really like this. Like, I, you know, this was the moment where I was reminded that it was a PG-13 movie. And this was a moment where I kind of suspected that maybe there's an audience out there that's younger than maybe we initially thought for this movie. But I i like that this is a bloodless movie. I like that in the fantasy sequences, Baby doll isn't out to murder people like, you know, homicide isn't a part of her fantasy world. But, you know, killing robots or killing a dragon is is perfectly in line with it.
1: Also, great decision by using World War One as a backdrop, because if they use World War Two, some of those people are still alive. And like and having the Sucker Punch dolls like walk through <laughs> like a World War Two trench for people's like, hey, I remember that. What the fuck? That might have <laughs> been a little insensitive. <laughs> but those World War One people, they're dead. They're dead. Yes, they are.
0: I, what do you, what do you think of this Mac? I, 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 you know, I'll say this. I actually like it. I like the trench fight. I think it looks cool. I think Amber's mech is cool. She's given like this little, uh, robot plane contraption, but what are your thoughts on this one?
1: Well, David, it took me a second to go and like shake off the, um, confusion about what's going on and actually start watching this action scene. And man, I, I enjoyed it. Like, you know, I thought all the actors like really did a good job. Shout out Vanessa Hudgens. Like, I feel like when she was kicking ass, I was like, damn, Vanessa Hudgens. Like, you need to get in more action roles. I thought she did a great job with the fight choreography.
0: A fight choreography aside, I can't recall how good or bad she was on that. But just Vanessa Hudgens in this role, I could never get on board with it when I first saw it. I still cannot. She does not fit. I kind of wanted to rotate her into the Amber role because I think she could play sort of a naive, you know, a sort of more innocent character than Blondie. Hey, no, Vanessa Hudgens did not work for me in this movie.
1: Yeah, I don't know about Vanessa Hudgens' character. Like, I feel like, you know, she played Blondie and Jamie Chung playing Amber. I feel like they kind of got relegated to not a whole lot to do. But just in terms of fight choreography, I thought she was great, at least in in this scene. Okay. Um, But yeah, and, and then the mech came down, like the mech suit. And, you know, one of the things about making these movies that take place these action scenes that in like 99% CG worlds Mm. is you kind of got to nail the physics a little bit. Like, I feel like trying to make them seem not just like cartoons, like Mm. make them seem a little bit more realistic is just when, you know, if you throw a ball with a certain amount of effort and it suddenly goes around the planet, it's like, Oh, I kind of lose it a little bit. And I'd say for the most part, this scene worked. There is a part where the, the zombie Germans corner, baby doll. They're like, give us the map. And she throws it in the air. And then while she throws it in the air, they fight and the mech comes down and then she gets on the mech. And they fly up in the air to where this map in like I don't know what you call this, this little like sort of um, map holder. What would you call that thing?
0: Oh gosh, it does have a name. It's kind of like an old timey Renaissance festival name, but I couldn't tell you. It's a it's a map holder. It's a map tube. Oh a valise, is it a valise? You bet. I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna say uh, map valise. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. <laughs> but David, it's still traveling up. Baby doll through this valise, if that's what it's called, two miles into the air. <laughs> I mean, I just. That's I was like damn all right get this let's go maybe fans should be for the Yankees rookie of the year.
0: Well yeah it's dream physics it's the same physics that keep you in place even though you're running as fast as you can like you know I I did have in my notes damn, she threw it high but uh yeah she threw it high <laughs> because it led to an awesome catch in the air. I, I you know again this movie's going for the splash page moments come hell or high water. But again going back to the sequence you know just kind of putting a button on it Another movie this reminded me of, especially this sequence in particular. Mac, did you ever watch uh, the movie Heavy Metal, the cartoon? Oh, I don't think I did. Okay. It's not very good, but one of my favorite sort of vignettes in it is this pilot who gets sucked into a time warp and he crash lands on an island with like zombie pilots. Like it's sort of a graveyard for old you know, missing in Dead planes. Oh man, ain't that always the way, you know what I mean? (laughs) But this sequence reminded me of that. And by extension, I sort of correlated the two in the sense that Heavy Metal was also a movie of just kind of loosely connected vignettes. And that's what this movie is also. This movie is a lot like a video game type movie where it is just, here is the level, here is the objective, here is the mini boss, here is the boss, level cleared, you know, that kind of thing. And in that regard, I do like this movie quite a bit. Like, you know, getting a sense of that's what it is, I can relinquish my pursuit of connective tissue a little bit more than I would with uh, with other movies. So I don't know.' I'm, I was really okay with the sequence.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was fun. and and now that, you know, it has more of a correlation to me, like it it feels like it it syncs up like, okay, so in the construct, they're sneaking into the office to you know, get the map of the facility or the the nightclub or whatever from blue. So the fact that that links up to what is happening in the war world, it, it worked a little bit more for me. I mean, it, it's still kind of like, you know, at this moment, it's like a taste test, right? Like, do you enjoy watching this or do you not enjoy it? Like, no one's going to talk you into liking the taste
0: of something. It's so whether you yeah. kind of like it or not.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I mean, looking at it, you know, in a, in a friendly way, it's definitely a fun sequence.
0: I gotcha. But Max Sweet Pea is able to obtain a photocopy of the map while Baby Doll had everyone under the hypnosis of dance. But Sweepy was sloppy with her theft and left behind enough clues to make Blue suspicious. Meanwhile, Blue is so impressed with Baby Doll's dancing skills that he orders Gorski to arrange for Baby Doll to do a special dance for the visiting mayor. What a perfect time to hypnotize the mayor and have Amber take his lighter, and what a perfect time for Baby Doll to slip into another fantasy world of dragons and orcs.
1: Yeah, so Oscar Isaac Blue is on to the Sucker Punch dolls. And I'll be honest with you, uh, bad man level detective skills here <laughs> from this dummy.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this because he walks into his office, he's like singing a jaunty tune because oh boy, he gets to exploit Baby Doll some more. And like he leans against, well, actually Mac, if you could help me verify what I think happened in this scene, does he lean against the photocopier and feel that it's warm? And that's how he deduces that a copy of the map was made? Honestly, I don't know. I know
1: he, he he got in the room and he was like, something's off. And I, I was watching him being like, did someone move his shit? And then that's when he pulls the thumbtack off the poster, or excuse me, the map that's thumbtacked to the wall. And he notices a second hole, meaning like someone has removed the poster and put it back. And they didn't hit the exact same little thumbtack holes. So that's how he knew someone was touching his shit. But I don't remember what first like raised his uh, Spidey sense.
0: See, because... That alone drives me a little nuts where it's like, really? It, he's going to feel the photocopier and it's going to be warm. But for him to pull the tack out and see the second hole, what kind of maniac doesn't try to get it within the same first hole? Is that just a me thing? Is that just the way I'm wired where like seeing that second hole drove me nuts? I think Sweet Pea was just like super nervous.
1: And so she just was like, get that thumbtack back like as fast as I can. But yeah, I, if, I think if she had more time, she probably would have been like, oh, same hole. Why Why wouldn't I? But honestly, yeah, even then she probably should have done the same hole. I
0: don't know. But she gets the map anyway. So we've got one piece down. The next piece is going to be the lighter that the mayor has. The mayor is actually one of the orderlies in the real world. And so the goal is to, to get him hypnotized and steal his lighter. The mayor shows up to the nightclub and there's like this queen mashup of like, I want it all and we will rock you or something. I forget. I definitely hated this mashup in 2012. But listening to it this time, that thing goes so hard. I was so into it. it is, I was really, really into it.
1: I still look, I I could get into it because I, I was still thrown by this mayor. Like, so in the nightclub construct, the cook is played by the cook.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The choreographer is played by the main therapist. The mayor is played by just some dude, just some like orderly who has the lighter. I yeah. kind of want to know, like, what did this guy do to be the mayor? Like, I, I thought he'd be like the, the person running the the institute but no he's just some just kind of a bigger dude who smokes I think that's why they made him the mayor if anything it's a compliment to him even though he's a monster in it
0: yeah well I mean it's not like baby doll got a chance to introduce herself to him she was just stuck with first impressions and he was this big guy with a cigar so yeah why not make him the mayor but when we go into war world
1: we're now in an airplane and you can tell like oh we're Scott Glenn is back wise man he's gonna give him their mission and I had to say this mission brief let's hear the audio of it David because it's amazing
0: the rest of you Drop into the courtyard and kill the creatures in your way. Now, when you reach the nest, you'll find the baby. You'll have to slit its throat. Down inside its neck are two crystals that, when struck together,
1: produce the most magnificent fire you'll ever see. Every new like wrinkle on there, like, oh, they're going to find a baby? Oh, kill the baby? Just everything just didn't see that coming. <laughs> like, every line must have been really fun. For Scott to say. <laughs> By the way, Scott Glenn's character, Wise Man, he's full of these little, like, you know, sayings, these aphorisms or whatever, where he's like, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And it's like, okay, I, I kind of wanted that to link up to real life. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe Baby Doll's uh her mom was always saying these things. Or maybe they had a friendly neighbor. Or maybe the friendly old bus driver. I don't know why I gave that as an example. Uh, but yeah, just... Uh, where did that come from is my question
0: yeah i mean all of all of scott glenn (laughs) everything about scott glenn not rubs me the wrong way but feels a little incomplete or it feels like something that was cut from the movie but yeah like the only one of those sayings or the only one of those words of advice that stuck with me is at the very beginning when he's like try to work together you know because i think that's you know that's also one of the running themes of this movie is like Yeah, it's not about women trying to survive at any cost. Like, they're in this together. They're, you know, all five of them get out or none of them get out. Well, I guess one of them gets out. But yeah, no, Scott Glenn's entire being in this movie (laughs) leaves me scratching my head.
1: But if we're in War World, it's time for another action set piece, which we'll call Dragon Drop. David, these people jump out of like a World War II-style airplane at this point, and they're fighting uh, against dragons. Because the lighter in the nightclub construct is represented in Warworld as I guess the firestones that live inside a dragon's neck that allow them to breathe a flame. Uh that sure, if that's what it is, yeah, okay.
0: I want to know what's going on in Zack Snyder's world where he thought Reign of Fire was a more popular movie than it was. I think he thought <laughs> he would be really into this. It you know, it took me the second viewing before I was like, oh, those are orcs like fighting the dragons. Like, cause again, I was looking for I was looking for more lack of violence against humans. So I was like, but no, I saw soldiers or whatever trying to kill the dragon. No, it was orcs. But then I was like, dragons versus orcs. I kind of want to spend more time in this world. Like, that's the thing about these fantasy worlds. You know, I understand the asylum is what it is. You know, you can't exactly glamorize that. But I really wanted to spend more time in these worlds, if that makes sense. They were just inherently neat. I know. I wrote that at some point. I wish this was the movie
1: about these action set pieces. But yeah, what did you think about the uh, the the music? I mean, you, you mentioned that Queen mashup. What did you think about it in the, uh, the the fantasy sequences in general, David?
0: The fantasy sequences in general are the parts where I noticed them the most. Like you know, going back to the first fantasy action set piece where it's Doll versus the three samurai, and you've got Bjork's army of me playing. That's kind of cool. I'm not I'm not the biggest Bjork fan in the world, but like you know, killing something big and then walking away in slow motion to Bjork that makes some sense. But in this moment, in in this fantasy world, uh it's gonna be scored with a cover of Search and Destroy by the Stooges, which I happen to like. I, I like that song a lot. I like this cover, okay? But it also pops in at the most inopportune time, or just, you know, I think someone gets killed or they slit the dragon's throat and then it's like the music has a tendency to maybe rock too much. Mac, is that possible?
1: Uh, actually, no, David. It's never it's never possible to rock too much, David. Uh, you, you know that's what you're you're going for. But also, David, you lose thirteen chuckle points uh, by the fact that you failed to say you're not the big the biggest Bjork fan in the nope. world. Are you sure I did?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, David, I lost uh, eighty five self respect points. Fair enough. But again, David, this action set piece in War World stands in for a dance sequence in the nightclub construct, and this the dance at the nightclub was for the mayor. And uh, I don't know, did, did Baby Doll do another one of her signature, uh, you know, mind blowing dances?
0: Baby Doll is undefeated in this world. In fact, uh, what, <laughs> one of my favorite little touches in the movie: the mayor is so entranced by Baby Doll's dancing that when you cut back to him, he didn't even flick his ash. He was just watching this thing. Gobsmacked and just let the his cigar ash down. I don't know. I liked it. I'm a sucker for I'm a sucker for sucker punch, Mac.
1: You know what? The idea of like cutting away and never seeing the dance, and then people are just like blown away. That's funny. Like yeah. in uh, in like Wet Hot American Summer, when Joe <laughs> Latruglio was watching Kid Marino be like, Oh, is he gonna do it? Is he gonna make the motorcycle jump? Is he gonna rescue the? Oh, he rescued the kids from the the rapids. Oh my god, he did it! Like it just you know we never see it it's just uh it's funny it's a funny little like running gag in, in the movie but now that i know that what's really happening is uh sexual assault at the world world oh david we can't have anything nice
0: <laughs> yeah i it definitely rubbed me the wrong way the first time i watched her i was like hey come on you can't have a, an amazing dancer and never show her dance but like i don't know watching it this time around i'm like what do you guys deserve like you get what i tell you to get you get nothing and like it i, I don't know i was okay with that this time around
1: So they already had the map, and while the dance was going on, Amber successfully stole the lighter from the mayor, completing their next
0: objective. That's right, and the girls celebrate being one item closer to freedom, but Blue suspects the girls are up to something and warns them to knock it off. That's too much for Sweet Pea, and she wants to abort the escape plan, but everyone still wants to proceed and steal a knife from the institution's cook. Baby doll tries to dance to music on the radio since Blondie is nowhere to be found with the record player. But the radio breaks and Baby doll is taken from her runaway train carrying a nuke fantasy to watch Rocket get killed. So, yeah, we just get done with the show for the mayor. We're backstage, all the girls are celebrating. They're one step closer to, to freedom. And here comes Oscar Isaac, here comes Blue. And he's just gonna start chewing scenery. I, I think he's so good in this part. I think he's so good in the scene. He balances menace with just being ridiculous. Well, I I I don't generally like Oscar Isaac, if I could say that, but I liked him in this role. I am a fan of Oscar Isaac, David. And the
1: fact that this movie got him before you know he broke big was uh excellent casting by Zack Snyder. I'll say this about Zack Snyder. His casting is always interesting. Hmm. Like, if you look at the the Watchmen cast, like, none of those people were like, oh, uh, Dr. Manhattan, it's got to be Billy Crudup. Like, no one. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a great piece of, it was like a gift, the fact that they got Oscar Isaac in this role. And so, yeah, I, I thought he was, uh, I think he's super watchable. And and I thought he was did a good job with this role as well.
0: Yeah, I did too. But he's going to tighten the screws on the on the gal gang. He's gonna tell them I know something's up, you knock it off. And so Sweepy is is out. This was part of her deal. She said, I'm in, but if I said something's going wrong, I'm out. And and everyone else is out too. And Baby Doll's working on trying to convince her. She's like, you know, we, we're so close. We've got two items. We only need two more items. High roller's coming in a few days. So like baby doll is really good at getting everyone on her page because everyone else is there presumably for life. They were there before she got there, they'll be there after she's gone. It's baby doll who needs to worry about the high roller coming in 3 days or the lobotomizer coming in 3 days. So good for her for like just rallying everybody to help her out.
1: Yeah, I'm on board. And I, I wish I'd known that the nightclub construct was what that meant was that she had was trying to get out of the uh, mental institution in reality, because I, I would have liked a little bit more. But right now, I, I kind of don't know. That's another thing. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep harping on it. Because it was a confusing setup, I'm, I do not know the stakes of these scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, Mac, I mean, even if you don't know this, the stakes of the scene in reality, you do know them in the nightclub construct. Does that sentence make sense to anybody? But I, that wasn't uh, enough for me. But anyway, they want to get the knife from the cook. And so their plan is to do a dance for the cook. And the cook is like, all right, like (laughs) the most suspicious thing in the world, like, oh, these girls have no interest in me. Are they up to something? Nah, they probably just too horny for life and need to uh,
0: do a slow, sexy dance for me, the cook. <laughs> they put together a show for me? Oh my God, they've never shown any interest. This is great. They must be really appreciative of the way I tried to kill one of them. But Blondie is tasked with going to get the record player so that they she can wheel it into the kitchen and they can sit the cook down and hypnotize him with Baby Doll's dance. But Blondie is having a real hard time bringing this record player over. She can't stop crying and so here comes Gorski. It's like, tell me what why you're crying. I'm I'm very helpful. I can help. And so at the same time, this mysterious band shows up, who they do not refer to again. Why is Blondie crying? What is she doing? She's probably doing something annoying. I know that much uh, based on my relationship with Blondie in this movie. But when the Sucker Punch dolls were supposed to get a map in
1: War World, they were tasked with stealing uh, a map from the the German zombies. And when they were tasked with stealing a lighter, in Warworld, they were tasked with stealing some other fire-giving device, right? The, the dragon's throat stones. And so in, in the nightclub, when they're tasked with getting a knife, in Warworld, they're fighting robots on a train. It's an actual sad piece we'll call RoboTrain. And David, why doesn't this make more sense?
0: Oh, Mac, it makes perfect sense. Because if you remember, the bomb, the nuke on the train headed into the city is codenamed Kitchen Knife. So if no. you needed a one for one on this nope. one, Mac, I got to tell you, this is just a sexy Muppet babies. This, <laughs> this, <is something laughs> about this that absolutely rules. Like it's so it's hitting you over the head with like operation kitchen knife. Come on. Like I'm on board with this. How did Zack Snyder, did this come out after Watchmen? This came out two years after. Yeah. How did he get a blank check on this movie?
1: I really want to know. Cause at some point I feel like the studio was like, Hey man, you need to tighten this up. And then Zack Snyder was like, uh, "You tighten up." And the studio's like, "What?" And he's like, "Action!" And then they're <laughs> rolling out the movie. Yeah, uh, this action set piece it lost me a little bit because th- I didn't see as clear a connection to the nighttime construct. And also, for some reason, the robots—they're like a little too shiny. It felt a little like uh, a little too like the CGI was showing a little too much. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, there was like a cool little scene where it was like a uh, a fight scene where you're the camera's going from. Sucker Punch Doll, Sucker Punch Doll, without a cut. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then it went from like, oh, now it feels like a little too weightless. Like, I don't, it just, uh, I don't know. But I went back and forth here. Like, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it wasn't a complete loss.
0: <laughs> I, I was into it. I was into it enough to give this my first mark out moment. I, oh. you know, that's right. I mean, this isn't going to fool me. I knew that it wasn't quite a winner. I knew that it wasn't all done in one shot. But credit to the effects on this one. I feel like the credit, I feel like the effects played a nice supporting role in cutting those or in piecing those shots together to make it feel, quote unquote, seamless. I was very much into this. I thought, I thought it built well. Again, it's robots. It's not people. So they're just smashing stuff. They're just smashing equipment. I, I was I was into this. This will be my first mark out moment. Yeah, I didn't
1: quite mark out, David, but I did. There was a, definitely some like, oh, this is cool. Like so, some moments in that for me.
0: And again, you know, making the connection to the real life, making the connection to, okay, their mission is to get the kitchen knife. So this is them telling an interesting version of that story with the fantasy world. I was into it. But something interesting happens here with the fantasy world, where since Blondie wasn't able to bring the record player in on time, they decide to play music from the radio. They just decide to find a station on the dial, and, and Baby Doll will dance to that. Well, the problem with this radio is that the the wire is frayed. You know, it's got some exposed wiring, and so that gets wet uh, from some water on the floor, and the radio starts to dry out, and so the fantasy world kind of starts to crumble with it and the movie does something interesting here where baby doll fades out of the fantasy and is returned to the kitchen just in time to see the cook lunge at sweet pea with a knife and then here comes rocket to take the knife the knife blow instead and then in that moment, Baby Doll switches back to the fantasy world almost as if she's protecting herself and protecting us from the trauma of Rocket getting killed. So I thought this was an interesting way of sort of illustrating how Baby Doll uses her fantasy world so you know to kind of cut away in this moment of real life.
1: Yeah. And the fact that in War World, Rocket still dies, but she dies in a very similar way, protecting her sister. I thought that was interesting. But David, you forgot to mention the reason there was water on the floor is because when the Sucker Punch dolls uh, came in, they were like, hey, cook, fuck your cooking. It's sexy time. And one of the things they do is they like throw a pot of potatoes onto the floor. Yeah. So the reason that they were soaking in water, I guess, because you got a stew going, baby. <laughs> uh, so that was your own fault for making a mess of the kitchen. But we leave the fantasy of War World back to the nighttime construct in time
0: to see Rocket get stabbed, she's dead. That's right, but there's no time to mourn the death of Rocket because Baby Doll has a show to debut for all the big high rollers in Vermont, including High Roller himself, played by John Hamm. But before the show starts, Blue reveals that Blondie spilled the beans about the escape plan, and Blue is not happy about it. He kills Amber out of anger and kills Blondie because that's what happens to snitches, but when he tries to have his way with Baby Doll, she gives him a one way ticket to knife wound. Baby doll and Sweet Pea escape the institution, and Baby doll sacrifices herself to a bunch of slime balls so Sweet Pea can escape. We then return to the real world where the slime balls are actually orderlies because Baby doll spent the past five days going sick house on everyone while she was playing pretend. Baby doll gets a lobotomy, Gorski has Blue arrested, and Sweet Pea is free to return to home in Fort Wayne. A lot going on there, more scenery chewing by Oscar Isaac when he. You know, again, like I mentioned, he comes in and gets mad at the cook because Rocket is dead because now one of his commodities is out of commission. I like Oscar Isaac most when he's furious and sort of uh, simmering. I really like this. Yeah, and
1: the John Hamm, you mentioned he's, he's the high roller. And in the beginning of uh, the movie, when we get to the, the nightclub construct, they keep talking about like the high roller's coming in five days. We're like, okay, the high roller is the lobotomy doctor, because in the reality, that's just coming in five days. And why they make some high roller, I don't know. But the it's like the big final performance, and this nightclub is like filling up. Which in the reality of the nightclub construct, what the fuck? Hey, let's go to this cool club where all the girls are slaves like that. <laughs> this is a real, real grim world of the uh the nightclub construct. So in the nightclub construct, Rocket is dead. Mm-hmm. And Blue then, you know, he kills Blondie and he kills Amber. So, did people die in real life? Yes. Yeah. OK, so in real life, he killed them and probably was like, oh, they uh, they slipped or something like that.
0: Well, you know what? Actually, I don't want to I don't want to go on record, but I that was my takeaway from it. I've, I feel like whatever happens in the nightclub world really did happen in the in the actual world. So, yeah, yeah the major
1: events of the nightclub world happened in, in the real right happened in the real world. Yeah.
0: But all of this happens. Blue comes to, to shut everything down and to stop the escape plan in its tracks. Because Blondie squealed when she was crying, going out to get the uh, the record player. She ended up squealing to Gorski. She ended up squealing to the mysterious man who we never find out who that is. I'm not being critical of the movie in this, in this point. I'm being critical of the character of Blondie. Like, I don't quite know why she felt compelled to squeal. I don't quite know why she was crying in that moment, if that makes sense. Like, was she so overcome with the, the feeling of defeat that they weren't going to be able to carry out their plan? Again, I I don't think it's the movie's fault. I just, I think it's something about the character of Blondie that makes me question all of it.
1: Yeah, my takeaway was that she was so stressed out and nervous about getting caught. Hmm. The fact that Blue was on to her, that that's why she was like a mess. I also thought the mystery man was Blue, but I could be wrong because now that you mention it, I don't think he's wearing the same color of Blue's suit. Listeners, let us know. Was that Blue? Was that Blue's right-hand man that only has dialogue in reality? I don't know.
0: The only thing that made me think it was an Oscar Isaac was that whoever it was had beefy hands. And I like to think that Oscar Isaac has like slender movie hands, but it certainly could have been Oscar Isaac. I, I don't know. You, yeah, maybe. But Blue kills Amber. Blue kills Blondie. Rocket's already dead. That's going to leave Sweet Pea and Baby Doll. And Blue is going to finally say enough is enough as far as his relationship with Baby Doll goes. He says something to the effect of. Uh, I feel like I'm a little boy sitting in the corner of the sandbox while everyone gets to play with my toys. That's gross. That's one of those lines where it's like, wow. If you wanted to write something that a gross person would say, mission fucking accomplished. Well done, Oscar Isaac and Zack Snyder. Yeah,
1: it was. Uh, it was creepy. He's uh, gonna play in a creep, Oscar Isaac. Let's uh, let's do background check in real life on him just just uh, for funsies.
0: I will say something as an addendum to this whole relationship between Blue and Baby Doll and, and its culmination right now. I really appreciated what the movie did as far as the nightclub fantasy world goes, where Baby Doll was presented as sort of virginal and she was being saved for the high roller. So that was what was keeping Blue's hands off of her. I can't imagine there's a one for one to the actual real world where she was being saved for somebody else or she was being saved for the, for the you know, for the lobotomizer. But I like that for the sake of the movie so that you're not living in this constant state of dread and peril. It it sort of couched it as, oh no, Blue's not gonna touch her. Blue's saving her for somebody else. But we're gonna get to it. we're gonna get in a little scrape between Blue and Baby Doll. Blue is starting to get more aggressive with her. Baby doll's fighting back as best as she can, but not fighting back enough, uh, it would seem. So Blue asks her, Did you lose your fight? But this is also at the same time that Baby Doll is reaching under her dresser, her drawer, where she has taped the map where she has taped the lighter and she also taped the kitchen knife. So she reaches under, grabs the kitchen knife. She says, no, I just found it. I just found my fight and buries the knife into Blue's neck. This is going to be my second markout out moment. I was just, I was really happy to see, even though the plan was falling apart, even though it becomes pretty clear that they're not all going to make it out of this alive, that baby doll still had a little bit of fight left in her. I, I enjoyed this quite a bit.
1: So, Baby Doll is able to use that stabbing for her and Sweet Pea to escape because everyone else is dead. However, when they go outside to escape, uh, they notice, "Oh no!" Like the drivers for all the high rollers in the club, all the thugs and goons that are 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 waiting outside, and like, "Oh, there's no way we can get out." But Baby doll's like, "Look, I'll sacrifice myself. I'll pick a fight with these drivers, thugs, and goons while you escape, Sweet Pea." What else does she say to Sweet Pea?
0: She tells Sweet Pea, you know, when Sweet Pea is sort of hemming and hawing, wanting to make sure that they leave together. Baby Doll says to Sweet Pea, "This was never my story. This was yours." To which I have to ask you, Mac Blake, say what? Like, I, I, and again, going back to the the thesis that has been sort of running through this episode of our Baby Doll and Sweet Pea one and the same. So, having been presented with the earlier evidence, and then coming to this part now. Where if you're taking it in a vacuum, or if you're taking it at face value, this statement comes completely out of left field. We have no reason to believe that this is Sweet Pea's story. She's been a side character to Baby Doll. So, with that said, and given that Sweet Pea is going to be the one to make it out of this institution alive of the of the five gals, are they one and the same? Is there is there a case to be made that Baby Doll is a figment of Sweet Pea's imagination? I honestly don't know
1: because yeah, when she said that, I might be like, oh, I guess the nightclub construct is uh, Sweet Pea's idea. But however, in the nightclub, when it's time for Baby Doll to dance, it seems like we go in her mind. And that seems like, a, I don't know, just a, a bridge too far. I mean, if it is like some sort of um, Tyler Durden, Ed Norton, Brad Pitt thing, I couldn't figure it out. Okay, so and what, what does your gut tell you about it?
0: My gut tells me no. Uh, my gut tells me that baby doll is a separate entity from sweet pea. But it—it it is stuff like that. It is a seed planted that makes you doubt it because that is such a curious line. Like I, I was really taken aback. There's nothing to indicate that it would be sweet pea's story, especially. Given her relationship to Baby Doll, like if you know, if she had said the same thing to Rocket, or if she had said the same thing to someone wide-eyed like Amber, instead of the most stubborn and cynical member of the group, it would have resonated more. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to make I'm trying to make sense of it.
1: If I had Zack Snyder hooked up to a lie detector, I'd be like, uh, "Are you a fan of the movie Mulholland Drive?" And then <laughs> see uh, what he says about it. Yeah. But Sweepy goes out and she kicks one of the drivers in the nuts, and he's about to punch her. But uh, right when we get to the moment where his fist would make contact with Baby Doll's face, we cut to boom, back to reality as John Ham, donk, knocks the, the lobotomy spike into Baby Doll's face, the face of Emily Browning. And he's like, Whoa, what the fuck? Did you see her face? Do you see the look she just gave me? What's going on? Something's not right here. And then John Ham, uh, the lobotomy doctor, he's talking to Dr. Gorsky, and it's revealed that, uh, he's like, what's up with this patient? Uh, do you order the lobotomy? And Dr. Gorski's like, Oh no, no, no. I don't care for these procedures. And then, um, you know, he's like, well, your, your, your signature's on here. And she's like, what they forged my signature. Okay. She's so casual about the lobotomy that just fucking happened. Like if she doesn't approve of this, if she has a shred of humanity in her, she should be like, Oh God, what's just, I watched someone get lobotomized. Instead, she's like, "No, that just happened. No, 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 no. Did you? did, Did that feel off
0: to you, or am I alone in this? No, no, you're not alone. This felt off. Just because this is another one of those things where this has been going on for so long in the universe of the movie, but the movie's presenting it like it's just happening right now. Like this couldn't have been the first unauthorized lobotomy that's happened under Gorsky's watch. Like this certainly isn't the first time that." the girls at the institution have been exploited. Like, is this really, after all this time, is this really Gorski's moment of realization? I don't know if that needed to be a part of the movie, but then again, you need something to motivate Gorski to call the cops. You need you need that light bulb moment. So I guess it's just serendipity that we happen to be privy to that moment for Gorski. But as baby doll is being,
1: esc- the now lobotomized baby doll is being escorted back to the theater, the, uh, the lunchroom slash auditorium, lunchatorium, We pass the cook who's missing his knife. We pass the orderly that was the mayor. He's missing his lighter. And like, wait, what? This happened? And Gorski even says like, oh, yeah, she's been a real demon. She like, you know, was responsible for all these things that happened. You're like, oh, shit. Here's where you realize the nightclub construct was happening in reality. But also, John Hamm is this lobotomy doctor. He's like, the look in her eyes It's almost like she wanted me to do it. It's this weird thing where like he suddenly has empathy, but also none, mm-hmm. which I have to say is uh, John Hamm perfectly cast because that is Don Draper in a nutshell from his role in Mad Men. But yeah, we couldn't couldn't get a read on the lobotomy doc. He wasn't on the screen very long, but just throwing that out there.
0: It's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, that is another one of those like this is the first time you've ever felt that. This is their first time you've ever felt like a tinge of remorse or sort of regret after immediately after nailing somebody in the brain.
1: Yeah, I feel like if you're a lobotomy doctor, you're terrible. You're a terrible human being. Uh, so just, it just or just, just seems like the worst work imaginable. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't, uh, the, the fact that they tried to have him be like, should this have happened? It's like, does, does he give a shit?
0: Yeah, it's it's too little too late, uh, unfortunately. But good news for Sweet Pea, she's, she made it out. She escaped in, in real life. We see her at a bus station. She's about to sneak her way onto a bus to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, some cops come by and they're like, hey, a lot of people died at the asylum down the road and we're missing one. Do you do you know anything about it? And who should come to the rescue? But Scott Glenn, the bus driver. What? That's right. He, he, was, he was with us all along. He says, this gal has been on my bus the whole time. She's not the one you're looking for. He saves the day. Uh, what does he have to do with the rest of the movie? The movie does not tell us. And again,
1: if you're wondering what happened to Baby Doll, she's now lobotomized. Uh, A wounded Oscar Isaac, orderly character. I don't even remember the name of his, you know, his orderly name is the character in reality. He seems like upset that she's lobotomized. He tries to kiss her. That's when uh, Gorski and the cops bust in because I guess Oscar Isaac's character is now being arrested for crimes against humanity. But (laughs) as we, we see the bus driving off in the distance, we get some VO from Sweet Pea that says, what? Do you remember? Something about life. It's crazy. I'll tell you what, let's just go ahead and play it. Who teaches us what's real and how to laugh at lies? Who decides why we live and what we'll die to defend? Who chains us? And who holds the key that can set us free? It's you.
0: You have all the weapons you need.
1: Now fight. Is it talking about us, David? It says it's us. We have all the weapons we need. We just need to go out and fight. I think what it's telling is if you're in a shitty relationship and you're in the theater right now, rise up and murder your partner that you're chained to.
0: Can I tell you what? I don't think you're too far off. <laughs> but again, you know, that's, that is that is the curse of this movie. It's like, I do get the sense that Zack Snyder is trying to say something like that. Like women have the power to do anything, but it's coming from Zack Snyder at the end of an insane asylum movie like it's i don't know man two steps forward two steps back
1: if i told you i understood this movie uh, i'd be a goddamn liar but the truth is david is that that is the end of sucker punch all right david how many mark out moments did you have in this thing how many moms i had two how about
0: you mac goose egg that is okay though David, is this someone's favorite movie? Uh, Besides the bombshell, I think this movie does have an audience. I just don't know if it ever found it. I think this movie would appeal to people who outgrew like the Hunger Games or the Divergent series. Like people who really are young adult fans who wanted strong female characters but didn't know where else to get it. I could see this appealing to them. Maybe they kind of have to mold it a little bit to fit in their image of of what they like and don't like. But I I think there's an audience for this movie. What about you, Mac? Well, David, thinking more about
1: it, I think you are right. I think the way that the, uh, specifically about like the look of the main characters, the 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 sucker punch dolls, I think it is more burlesque than pornography. This movie, I mean, I, look, I, again, I, I don't think parts of it work. I think it would be better structured a different way. But I will give credit to this movie for being so weird, so weird. And weird yeah. movies, even if they are... I don't want to say failures, but even if they don't hit the mark they intend to to hit, I still have a special place in my heart for movies that are super weird. Except you, Beyond the Black Rainbow, too boring. <laughs> but uh, Mandy was great. But this movie's so weird. So yes, I think it's someone's favorite movie. And if it is one of your favorite movies, I probably like you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think this movie's cracking like a, a pervert's top 10 because I don't think it's a provocative level is, uh, what that person wants. So yeah, I think this is someone's favorite movie. And if you like a movie this weird, you're probably the right kind of weird. So, uh, even after everything I said about it, uh, (laughs) kudos to you, sucker punch fans. I David time for punch ups. Uh, we're the ultimate script doctors. Everybody knows that. How would you fix this movie? How would you
0: punch it up? My first punch up re-release this movie. Let the right audience find it. I feel like You know, we've talked about this with Watchmen and Zack Snyder, where that movie felt like it was a little ahead of its time, maybe not in the sort of innovative way, but just it came along at the wrong time. It was maybe a a dozen years too early. I wonder if that's also the case with Sucker Punch. I wonder if there is an audience of younger women who would really gravitate towards this movie, you know, once the dust has settled on Zack Snyder and what this movie was when it was first released back in 2011. I'd like to see this get a second chance, or I'd like to see a new audience find it. Um, But as far as the movie itself goes, I really had one thing that bothered me. I was I gave this movie a wide berth. I wanted to accept it for what it was and just go on the ride that it took me on, but I could not get past Vanessa Hudgens. I feel like the role of Blondie required someone with more of a sneer, someone with more of like a fuck you attitude. And I'll tell you who would have been perfect as Blondie, Emily Browning. What I would like to see is her slide over be Blondie, and then bring in Amanda Seafried. like call up the set of B- Big Love and tell them there's a bomb on the set. And so they have to break up production. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was what Amanda Seafried was busy with her Big Love commitments that she couldn't do Sucker Punch. So I'm allowed my own fantasy world within a fantasy world. That bomb threat gets Amanda Seafried and Sucker Punch and uh, we fix the Vanessa Hudgens problem. Mac, how about you? Do you have any punch ups on this one? Yeah, my small
1: punch up is I David I, I mentioned I liked the sort of the running gag of whenever we cut out of War World and Baby doll has just finished her dance. We never see the dance but everyone's going nuts for it. I kind of wanted her my punch up is to be in an insane position when we cut back. <laughs> like there was the dance with the cook and when we cut back she's just kind of like in a position as if you were like slowly grinding your hips back and forth and you're drunk as hell. I when he cut back I wanted her to be like, you know, Sprawled on the floor, like you know, strangling uh, another orderly or something like that, or like she's she's made us a weird statue out of bread or just something <laughs> like what the fuck kind of dance. Like I wanted us to be a little bit more on the the same level as the the uh audience in the movie, just being like, what just happened? Yeah. Like uh, a little bit more evidence of like just it being something crazy. My biggest punch up though is. The fact that this is taking place in an insane asylum, say, make that a reveal. Because hmm. I feel like if this movie starts out in War World, and then we realize War World is just her way of dealing with like dancing and nightclub. You'd be like, okay, that's weird, but kind of interesting. And then later we find out that the nightclub is a construct to protect her mental health in the insane asylum. Now you're like, whoa, this movie sucker punched me. I get it now. That, that to me, is a much more interesting movie. I, I think it would pay off a little bit of the confusion. Like, okay, I'm supposed to be confused in the beginning uh, a little bit more. Okay, David, please uh, join me in the Punch Mountain Video Store. As you know, this is an all-action movie video store. We have three copies of Sucker Punch. So what shelves would you put these movies in, David? What subsections of action would be the home for Sucker Punch?
0: Mac, the first copy is going in Smashing the Patriarchy. This movie is ladies kicking ass. So, of course, that's going to go on that shelf. Uh, Second one's going to go on the Zack Snyder shelf. Let's go ahead and start that up. I got a feeling we'll do a few more Zack Snyder movies before it's all said and done. Uh, The third copy, I'm going to own this one in terms of where I place it. Uh, I'm going to put this on the In Case You Missed It shelf. You know, like I said, I, I think this movie is just missing its audience, really. I think there's an audience out there that will embrace it a little bit more than the general public did. I'd like to put it on that shelf.
1: One section I might stock it in, I kind of mentioned this earlier with the it being a good bar movie, is I'd be like a background viewing. Like if you're going to be, you know, like playing a poker game or something like that, and you want to put something on that, you know, just will like... Pass the time in the background if you've already uh, cashed in your, you know, whatever, folded. Just like l- being able to like look over at this movie and just be like, what is this? I think it's interesting enough visually. It would be fun to have it on the background. I know that seems like a real dig at it. But uh, honestly, if one of the reasons you like this movie is how crazy it is, that's what I'm saying. This movie's crazy, y'all. Yeah. All right, Dave, It's come down to, we have to reveal the position of Sucker Punch on Punch Mountain itself, the definitive ranking of action movies. Before the mountains speak unto us its wisdometh. Uh, David, that worked. I'm sure David, where would you ring sucker punch?
0: Oh gosh. Even as someone who is speaking of this movie in positive terms, I have a hard time figuring out where this would go on the mountain. I'm not quite sure I would place it very high to, to be honest with you, just because, you know, the action is cool. Like the action sequences, the, uh, the war world, the fantasy sequences are pretty awesome, but they're pretty awesome on paper. If that makes sense. You know, I just, I just don't know if, you know, it's a video game movie. It, it's, it's really cool sequences. And then there's some cut scenes and then you get to another really cool sequence. I'm not quite sure how I feel about those types of movies. Uh, I want to root for this movie. I want more people to see it, but I I don't know if I could justify too high of a, of a position. How about you? What do you think? You
1: know, I know Zack Snyder gets a lot of uh, grief for the fact that, you know, he's got a certain style. This kind of like, you know, stop, start like mega version of Michael Bay, you know, that, that everything is so like amazingly dramatic, but the fact that he has such a recognizable visual style in, in a world of sameness, like even if it is a hyper style, I feel like you got to give him credit for that. And so I'll go on record. I like Zack Snyder. I think his version of Watchmen, even though like if <laughs> was about almost as good as you can do in terms of like a movie adaptation, I mean, that movie had so much blue dick in it. You really got to give it credit (laughs) for how much wang Dr. Manhattan was tossing around. It was really on display. But that being said, this movie is like a little too confusing for me to be very high ranked on the mountain. I think Zack Snyder in terms of action movies has better efforts out there. Oh no, David, escape into your mental construct because rocks are falling and you don't want to witness them crushing your body to death. But the the rocks are falling off the, the mountain. The golden letters are revealing the position of Sucker Punch. It is now number 36. That means 34 is Mission Impossible 2, 35 Punisher Warzone, followed by Sucker Punch. Olympus has Fallen and Need for Speed at 38. Uh wow. For complete rankings, check out Punchmountain.com to see who's at the top and who is at the bottom. You know, that that works for me, David, because Olympus has Fallen. Now it may seem like that's a more coherent action movie. And I don't, you know, we've talked about Olympus has fallen enough. But there was a lot of – there's parts of that movie that I was like, ugh, while watching. And even though Sucker Punch had some ugh ideas, they didn't show them to us. And it did have some gonzo action. So, uh, yeah, it was – look, I had fun watching Sucker Punch. I think that's uh, that's my final word on the movie.
0: Yeah, and it does feel at home in the neighborhood with Punisher Warzone, another movie that kind of felt like a video game and another movie that felt uneven but was still a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty okay with this ranking.
1: Yeah, I definitely think they could have made uh, some structure tweaks that would have had it made more sense. But, you know, uh, maybe his director's cut will fix it. Maybe it'll add two hours and it'll be in black and white and uh, (laughs) Joe Leto will come back as a weird joker.
0: All right, folks, that'll do it for another edition of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. You can also join us on Discord. The link is in our link tree. The link tree is on our Instagram. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, it's an inventory episode. We're going over episodes 37 through 48. One last time. We'll take some questions for answering, and we'll also provide a preview of some upcoming episodes. I'm looking forward to that. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye Bye-bye.